What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 20 of the High Bar Podcast. Um, I'm, here with he- I'm here with a very highly requested guest, great friend of mine. He's been a coach to me as well, actually currently a coach to me, um, Alberto Nunez of 3D Muscle Journey. Appreciate having you on, man. If you want to take the time to just do a brief uh, you know, introduction, I think that people would appreciate that for maybe some of the... Because I realize I have like teenagers listening to me who probably you know, aren't even familiar with, with your, your role in the sport. Yeah. Yeah. They just stand on the rubble of, uh, of, you know, like all the trial and error that, that took place many yep. years before they took up the sport. Um, so I guess to make it a little bit more relevant to the people who are most likely to listen to this podcast, um, I'm a bodybuilder at heart. Um, that is my main focus as an athlete. I'm a coach, but Man, I'm so too much of an athlete, man. You know how it goes. It's like you, you got to lead by example, right? Because yep. every time that like I, I prep or I have the certain specific set of goals, it just puts you in the seat of uh, of where your athletes, how your athletes must feel, like quite often. Mm-hmm. So, but I focus primarily on bodybuilding. Uh, but where I think both the bodybuilding and powerlifting worlds kind of can meet and learn from each other. Cause that's the one thing, man, about existing in both worlds. So when I first got into bodybuilding, like the way it was, it was just the IFBB landscape. And like for those guys, man, it's like you combine good genetics with massive amounts of drugs. I think people sometimes forget just how potent these drugs are. It's like, it's like you could be dying from a terminal disease and like you'll be sitting there in your bed, putting on muscle. Like these are crazy compounds. So you know, when you combine like great genetics and like crazy amounts of drugs, a lot of uh, the information that was out there coming from primarily the IFBB world just wasn't very relevant to uh, to bodybuilders. And somewhere along the way, man, like the power building thing became popular. And even though I guess it's kind of up to the individual and how they're put together. But generally speaking, like the powerlifting lifts aren't, I wouldn't consider them like tier one, like bodybuilding movements, like when it comes to the prime movers that involved in those exercises. Nevertheless, man, like everyone started seeing like these massive gains, you know, that like the pumpy work just wasn't getting. And, and that's kind of where those two worlds collided. That's kind of where my brief stint in powerlifting, like I had arrived, mm-hmm. tried it for a minute, realized I didn't excel at this. Um, I think it took one cycle of, uh, powerlifting type training. It was a very archaic program for, for like, uh, both myself and, uh, my colleague, Eric Helms, like we saw Bryce Lewis just take off and like hit a 600 pound deadlift, like overnight. And we're like, okay, I, we're definitely not built for this, but <laughs> nevertheless, man, it's like, you know, I'm a fan of the sport. I'll stay up to like weird hours trying to, uh, you know, catch what I can. Um, and yeah, over time, I've uh, I've been blessed with the responsibility of, of uh, handling some pretty immense talent such as yourself on, on the nutritional side of things. Because again, there is overlap when it comes to these worlds. Uh, we're all looking to, you know, scratch and claw our way to these adaptations. Yep. And uh, you have to earn them, man, when you're, you're going about it in a drug-free manner. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. It's actually funny because... That was something that I talked about. So I don't know if you're, maybe I assume you're familiar with uh, the platform that myself and a couple other coaches started powerlifting now. 
Um, mm. It's like the educational platform that we started. And, and in my most recent video that will, you know, it'll be up by the time that this podcast is out. One of the, I guess, like hypotheses that I made for how powerlifting programming got to the point that it's at now is that around the time that you probably, you know, started, you know, dabbling in powerlifting, there was kind of this cultural shift with what powerlifting was in that it was no longer a sport dominated by the idea that one, you had to be on drugs because that was the majority of what powerlifting mm -hmm. was in the nineties and two thousands, right? Because the multiply side of things was the, the leading force and then caloric surplus and, and mass moves mass by any means necessary was also like the, the archetypal powerlifter was fat. And one of the things that I had kind of mentioned that I think caused a shift in how we program for powerlifting is that it eventually became culturally mainstream enough where the person who wanted to excel at powerlifting was wanting to maintain a reasonable body, reasonable body weight and body fat percentage and wanted to be natural. So the programming methodology that elicited progress needed to be revamped, you know, like back in the day, training each lift one day a week was, you know, the norm and it was taboo to train, you know, a, a squat or a, a deadlift, you know, more than once a week. But if you're a 180 pound guy on, on no drugs, you know, you're going to be hard pressed to see anything get, get added to your total. So that's, you know, guys like Helms and Zordos, you know, probably were big players in, in kind of moving the needle forward of what training had to look like. Right. And I'm curious what your uh, what your programming looked like, because I remember seeing I think it was before I even knew who you were. But I remember watching like a Matt Ogus video. I think it was like 2011 that you guys competed in in like the sweatiest, grungiest looking gym I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, man, uh, man, dark times, I think, <laughs> you know, you look at the infancy of your programming and I know for me, we, we were trying to help these people, but there was still a lot to figure out. Like, I guess, you know, if you're a bodybuilder, we're going to get you on some 531 hybrid type of program. And, you know, there's Westside Barbell. We'll run those type of systems if, if you want to power lift. And, man, like, just, go, just going back, we're trying to piece things together. Like, you, you saw, there was a starting strength camp. Uh, those, like, bootleg, like, uh, Shiko programs were out. <laughs> that many years later were like it was they were written to help this i think it was a young lady who wanted to bring up her bench press um so you know like through all that and and yeah mike eric they were all huge influences but it's all making a lot more sense now uh and like we can kind of like laugh in hindsight like how we were all just like gripping and ripping our deadlifts like there was there was no take the slack out the bar bro um you know because again like we were coming from these we're learning from suited lifters. Um, dark times, man. So like a lot of trial and error. I feel like I gave up my body uh, in that short stint where I was trying to be a dual sport athlete. I'm like, I, I can still feel that like everywhere just because from, not just from a programming standpoint, but sometimes just from a technical standpoint, like how advanced you guys have gotten when it comes to how we move. Mm -hmm. Just blows my mind um and unlike other sports where i guess there's a textbook way of doing things and yeah there's like the outside framework is kind of the same but like how what that looks like from person to person is going to be vastly different mm -hmm. um it's it's what keeps me captivated like 
because it's a young sport, man. So like every two years, like you can say that like, man, like, you know, the sport as a whole and the general, the average coach has, you know, moved up like, like what, what it takes to be an average coach, like the, the standards keep moving up so, so rapidly. Um, but yeah, man, when I go back to my infancy of like powerlifting type, like program building, like, like, man, I thought, I thought DUP gen one was like the answer. And as we know, like that stuff worked until, until it doesn't basically. Yeah. When was the last year that you competed in powerlifting? Um, that was 2014. Okay. Um, it was Nat, Nats and uh, Aurora. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because, dude, the powerlifting scene in California, huge state. There was no USAPL presence out there. Yeah. And I happened to be prepping, and then all of a sudden, like USAPL shows up. I think prior to that, no, not prior to that. But at some point, I had done a USPA meet. Like I get there, and I'm like, man, I'm totally underdressed for a USPA meet. Like right away, like you catch the vibe that this is technically of it's an npc show um so yeah i kind of do them routinely but once usapl like started to pop up i was like oh man i, I gotta do what i can to help like this fed gain traction especially out here because there was no place to lift really as a tested lifter so yeah like, that, that's the year i had the bright idea of, like let me try to do both uh try to compete in bodybuilding and 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 participate which is all it ended up being like participated in powerlifting <laughs> wait so then how many how many weeks out were you when you did nationals then because you said you were prepping and then decided to do nats yeah uh i, I think i did a show four days before <laughs> so yeah yeah uh what did the just, what did the what did the four day window look like to make sure that you felt as little like death as you possibly could on meet day? We, we we just didn't know how to handle those things back then, you know. Um, so I was already kind of at weight. So all the things that would happen post show, where you're like, oh, let me you know rebound, gain some extra weight just to feel human again. It's like okay, I'm gonna have to hold off on those a little bit longer, um, but just as you imagined, like your body's just very unpredictable, you know, mm -hmm. it just wakes up how it wants to wake up. And it's just, I think I, my thirds were like my openers the week before, but that's, uh, that's just how it is at that point. You just, yeah. you just don't know what to expect. Would <laughs> would not recommend, but, uh, it was definitely, uh, yeah, quite, quite the experience. Um, yeah. And dude, who knows? Like, I wouldn't be surprised as, if like as the gene pool grows and like more talented guys come up, right? And and our methods improve on both bodybuilding and powerlifting. That like years from now, like we'll get some like Otani type athlete, that, like <laughs> literally just does everything. So yeah, yeah. I mean, there definitely there definitely are people you see who who want to do both now. So I'm sure that you'll you'll. I mean, I don't think anybody will be. I think that's the thing is like it, because people are getting so competitive now and could be on both sides, like they're probably not going to, you know, bite the bullet like you or Brian did and, you know, do a, a meet that close to a show. But I could see it happening within the same year and excelling at it. Well, I guess uh, Charles Apoko actually did. Yeah. He's not like, a, you know, a, a seasoned bodybuilder by any means, but I'm pretty sure he won like some, you know, amateur show and, and had 
just competed in powerlifting maybe months prior. Like legit, it just takes the right person, man. The right yeah. person shows up. Like you know, you know how it is. Uh, yeah. You can't you can't help but as competitive as an athlete as you might be. It's like I just have to enjoy this. So yeah. like, who knows what these kids will be doing ten years from now? Like, I refuse <laughs> to be one of those boomers that like just talks about how much better things were like you know 10 20 years ago yeah and the numbers the numbers don't lie now so there's no way of even oh, arguing no. that. That, that that used to be what they would tell us when we would get too analytical about the methods it's like well you don't see records being broken why aren't the records broken it's like well boom like there you have it like it's clear as day like it's yep. it, it, some of these numbers if you would have told me like this is what powerlifters would be doing 10 15 years from now when i first dabbled in it i i like you sure these guys are drug tested? Like probably would have been like my answer, but yeah. yeah. And this is just the beginning. I could uh, personally, that's, that's yeah. no, it's absolutely. still a very young sport. Yep. Yeah. So I, this is one of the questions that I have for you that, you know, I have, I have questions from, from people who, you know, were interested in having you on this as well, but just something that I'm curious about, cause I've spoken about my own experience with this of like what my, athletic upbringing was and how I got motivated in terms of like, you know, I had like the very typical, like authoritarian, like masculine coaches, like getting on your ass all the time, like, you know, running a tight ship. Right. And that's what I responded well to. And, you know, from having worked with me, like whatever you tell me to do, if it's going to work, I'm going to do it. Right. Like I'm an empty the tank kind of person. And I'm wondering like, what was your natural uh, I guess, temperament? Were you more like that? Were you more laid back? And then since I have no experience prepping bodybuilders for shows, like, do you find that most of the people you work with tend to require that like tough love, like push empty the tank, or is it end up being more like, you know, kind of a, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like give and take being very soft and, and, and kind of, you know, being more empathetic, I guess. Man, there's just an ethical component to, to fat loss. Cause you know, you're, when you mess with people's food, like you can unlock all sorts of weird things. Mm -hmm. Um, the Minnesota starvation experiment, like we, we can't do things like this now, but it's, I think anyone who's really interested in, in pushing the limits of body recomp, it's, it's worth reading. Like a lot of, the symptoms these, these men experienced. Um, I think anyone who's really pushed their body uh, to an extreme. And again, this is almost like regardless of body fat, right? Like if 12% is like new to you, it's, it's, it's going to hit you like a house of bricks, basically. Um, it, it's worth reading because you can't do these sort of studies anymore, but like these dudes like lost their minds. Like one cut off his finger, basically to leave the experiment. Um, but yeah, they were doing all sorts of weird things like uh, playing with their food, for example, like they would take really long. Uh, and the playing of the food just reminds me of like people who are dieting, like taking selfie pic like pictures of their food, you know, before they eat it, you know, um, like do like gen one, if it fits your macros, like some people's like whole Instagram was just like sprinkles, like just, all sorts of different kinds of like ice creams and pop tarts and just close-ups. And then like every 20th post was like a actual physique or lifting video. Um, 
the men became preoccupied with like their appearance, even though it's like, dude, you're starving. Like this isn't like the time like for that. Um, I think two of them afterwards just, just dedicated their life to the culinary arts. So they completely 180 with their career. So food is just a very visceral part of us because we're so dependent on it mm -hmm. uh, as, as warm blooded mammals. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I have to, like someone might want to get shredded, but it's almost like a pseudo, you're a pseudo hospice coach as a bodybuilding coach. If you're doing it right, where you're, like constantly poking and probing and you want to build that sort of openness with athletes so they can tell you most everything, but a lot of stuff you still have to read, um, you know, reading between the lines with what they're telling you. Again, you observe everything from like how fast they're speaking to you, uh, what the room in the background looks like is it getting messier. <laughs> um, you know, th those sort of things. So yeah, I, I, I think when I first started, coaching and it was like the renaissance period and contest prep where it's like oh shit like calories matter wow I, like i was getting everyone spreaded like people that maybe weren't ready for it whereas like now um i guess i think of things from more from a long-term perspective right you know um right it's like you you know how to get someone really strong really quickly but sometimes Like you kind of have to muffle that a little bit for their own good. And when it comes to bodybuilding, especially the contest prep side of things, um, it, it can be quite complicated because unlike a knee injury or like, you know, your back, like these are things that people can struggle with for years in some cases, even decades from just one single bad experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to imagine then, I mean, you already said it, but like having gone through preps yourself is probably, you know, even more, I would say probably more important than from the powerlifting side. Because you know, there are people who are like, oh, like, you know, your powerlifting coach should compete. And, you know, to a degree, yeah. I, I definitely agree. Like if you're, you kind of need to be in the trenches, right, mm -hmm. to kind of stay up to date with the powerlifting side of things. But if you look at a lot of the highest level powerlifting coaches right now, I would say a majority of them are not competing on any serious level. But I'm sure for you, it's kind of served as like a reminder of of maybe how you have to to handle your athletes emotionally. And then, you know, having competed more recently after, uh, you know, several years of of being off stage, was there anything that you learned from that prep or just some experience from it that changed how you approach coaching your athletes? Yeah. Every, every year there's like, well, I like to do this just every year, regardless of whether I prep or not. It's like, okay, what did I learn this year? Mm -hmm. you know, what am I doing differently? And I think last prep, uh, and this is one thing I've always admired about you is that you're like, like, two feet into the pool, you know, like, like you said, you as an athlete, that's, that's how you roll. It's like, if I tell you to do something, I, I know he's gonna like full seam ahead, just, just do his job. Um, with bodybuilding, it's, it's always been a little funny to me because it is a, I guess a, it's a, it's a subjective sport, you know, at the end. So it's always been hard to commit like to the, result side of things, the more extrinsic side, 
And I think this go around, I committed to it a little bit more. I'm like, I'm going to play that side of the game. Cause like for me, big part of the bodybuilding is I, you know, it's like you take up goals because of how they might morph you as a person, you know, like you want all the character development that comes with that goal. Not just, I mean, obviously the goal has to matter to you, but, but at the end, like that's what you're left with. So this year I was like, you know what? I'm going to be one of those guys that like literally throws his medal on the ground. If it's like a second place, maybe <laughs> not quite that far, but, I want to have expectations. Um, and it was a much more rich experience in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think as long as you understand, yeah, that it's a subjective sport at the end, uh, there's nothing like committing to a task, like 100%, like just dedicating months of your life uh, to, to the work that needs to be done. Uh, I, that, I, in reflection, I, I really miss that, that part of last year's prep and, like for that reason alone, I think I want to do it again. I just want to get lost in this melody that lasts many months, basically. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think that's probably the one thing that I remind my athletes of is like, hey, it's like just commit to this, man. Like if you're gonna be spending time like hiring me, like just commit to the whole process. And again, that doesn't always mean like, hey, the hammer is like the best tool for the job. It just means like, hey, like you really need to commit to fulfilling your duty, whatever it might be on that specific day. And, you know, and if you do that, I'll, I'll do the same. So, yeah, I think people sometimes don't realize it, but they have one foot in one foot out. Yeah. And that's, that's not how things work best. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that's always kind of like, I'm fully aware that my, if I had to evaluate which, of the two sports or avenues I have more of a gift in, obviously it's the, the powerlifting side than the bodybuilding side. But I think the thing that has always enticed me about bodybuilding is that you have to be two feet in in order to get the most out of it. And mm-hmm. I think the thing that's beautiful about what you just described is like, you know, with, with powerlifting, right? It's, it's great for the people who are very objective and numbers driven because you're constantly going to get feedback of whether or not your commitment is going to pay off, right? So there's delayed gratification as you make your way far enough down the road in powerlifting where, you know, your rate of progress starts to slow and you really have to, you know, run your head into the wall in order to squeeze out those little bits of, of progress, but you're constantly performance evaluating, right? Whether it's on the order of weeks, whether it's on the order of blocks, but it seems like with bodybuilding, it's like, I'm going to commit to this for, you know, basically a year, right? Like to get into state, you know, contest prep shape to start the prep and then another half year to actually prep for it. And, you know, you won't really know whether or not you like achieve the goal, so to speak, outside of the, you know, the character development, but you won't know if you actually like did the job until the day comes. And I, and that is a very, maybe like sadistic thing that I want to go through that kind of like suffering right but i think that that's the way that life goes more often than not where the the indicators of progress are more subtle when you're when you're navigating a career or a relationship or whatever it might be and the due dates are not scheduled right so it's not like powerlifting where you're like oh i'm going to finish my block in 2 weeks let's see where my e1rm went it's like no like shit can hit the fan really quick or like you said with bodybuilding it's like you 
it's subjective. You might not know what the, the end result is until the day comes. And it's so genetic. It's a human dog show at the end, you know, like yeah. if you're a boxer and the right looking boxer shows up and the snout's just the right size, like, well, I'm screwed. Like nothing I can, <laughs> nothing you can do about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, whereas like with other sports, I mean, obviously there's limitations in, in powerlifting, right? But like sometimes it's like, hey, you know, if I have my best day, I can do this. And certainly with other sports where there's more open endings, like you know, more physical wits, like I could get that punch in and, dude, underdog just won the fight. Yeah. Um, so it's, there's a helpless feeling to that. And I think that's where you really have to sell yourself on the like, hey, I'm going to experience something that most people in developed countries I don't get to experience. And that's like human starvation. <laughs> it's a weird sort of starvation, obviously, because you're doing it with all this like excess skeletal muscle. Uh, it's a very pampered version of it. But nevertheless, man, like you learn so much about yourself at a primal level. Um, just slows down life for you. And it's it's addicting once you try it. And I think, I mean, you haven't opened up the book yet, but, you know, you're aware of like what's in there. And, you you know, when the time comes, you you, you look forward to, to it because of like what you've heard. Yeah. Yeah. And no, we'll, we'll see what my 30s bring. So in a couple of. <laughs> In a few years or, you know, probably like the five to seven year time horizon after that point, maybe I'll, uh, I'll be, I'll be hitting you up for, for the first run, run at it. So and I look, look forward to that. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's going to be amazing on so many levels. Like, you know, you report back every week and you're like, dude, I saw this, this and that realized this, this and that. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. You know? Um, yeah, it'll be great, but it can wait. We have things to do. And yep, you know, exactly. Right I okay so you you mentioning the the you know learning things about yourself this is a, a totally random question but I just thought of it like with people going through the deep stages of prep where they are experiencing starvation and maybe their their urges or their their you know fluctuations in mood and and you know just surrounding food right and and maybe that affects their their decision making in a negative way have you ever dealt with a with a i guess an athlete like becoming more religious during like a prep or something mm -hmm. like that and the reason i ask is that like you know having to essentially the word that came to mind when you were describing all of that before is like surrender right like mm -hmm. you have to accept the powerlessness of you know, having to commit to things. And then also that, like you said, you might show up in the boxer next to you as the right size snout and there's nothing I can do. Is there anybody, because a lot of athletes and myself included, you know, want to have control over everything. I think that yeah. the people who are like high achievers and want to be the best at things, they want control over everything because if I want to win, I need to make sure that X, Y, and Z and all the pieces are, are lined up. Like, do you ever find have you ever interacted with anyone who was like, yeah, I became religious during this time period because, you know, it kind of redirected me toward what it means to be, you know, surrendered to, to something higher than myself. I, I can't say that someone has shared that with me, like directly, like this is okay. what it led me to, but, um, but I could see how that would be the case, man, because that's exactly as, as you describe it. You know, it's like, you know, you do what you can, but at the end, what's going to happen is going to happen. And you kind of have to be at peace with it, mm -hmm. um, you know, to like 
I think a big part of loving something is like being able to let go of it as well. Yeah. You know, like on the whim, basically. Um, yeah. So, no, but I, I will say it slows down life for you. So you start to really realize like what truly matters, mm-hmm. you know, during certain stages. Um, the thing is like, like for me, like if we're being perfectly honest, like last time's prep was kind of a walk in the park and there's a mm-hmm. deeper, dark, darker place that I've yet to visit. And it's like, I need to visit that place. Like, you know, let, yeah. let's, let's, let's avoid organ failure, but like, let's see what's in there. <laughs> you know, cause uh, you, you can get so cunning with your procedures to the point where a lot of the suffering is alleviated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but yeah, I also know there's, there's a, there's, there's some chapters in the back that I've, I've kind of, you purposely almost avoid. You yeah. Know? Uh, there's, there's a part of you that you don't want to discuss that you're like, ah, like we should, we should, we can, um, <laughs> but you know, like, <laughs> yeah, there's all these biological forces that, you know, uh, insist that, that, that you don't probably some like, uh, past dietary traumas. Like that's one thing that Teddy Atlas has always mentioned on his podcast about like combat fighters is that they deserve to make whatever they make, man, because you know, you, dude, you could die. Like yeah. you, you could die in the ring. And in many cases, a lot of those guys will tell you that after that fight, I wasn't quite the same. Like after that fight, like uh, I left a part of me in that ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and with dietary things, like especially if, if you're exposing yourself to too much too soon, it can be the same way where they're just things that live with you forever. Uh, basically. So mm-hmm. So yeah, you just have to be careful with how much it's kind of like lifting, right? So you have to control the exposure. There's good things that come with the exposure, but and you do too much too soon. Um, yeah, you'll get burned. And especially when it comes to things that are connected to the mind, like, dude, oh man, you can get burned forever, basically. Yeah. So have you ever had to talk anybody out of the sport? Uh, usually they talk themselves out of the sport. You know, okay. like, you know again, because things really it becomes clear what's important, you know, very yeah. clear, very quickly. And, and I mean, those primal states, I mean, usually it's before that you get to the point where like, you're the only person that matters. Cause there is that, that point, like at the end, like you are literally uh, Tom Hanks, like with talking to a volleyball, like <laughs> you, you, you can't get there, but usually, yeah. Like pre those stages, where there's still some empathy left, like the first few go arounds, like yeah, there's a lot of people that are like, you know what, this isn't like everything Instagram told me it would be. Yeah, I only ask because like with the powerlifting side of things, I, I mean, obviously I'm a very both feed in kind of person, and from my perspective, a lot of people quit powerlifting maybe before they quote unquote should like, who am I to say like what your values are and what you should do. But I think there are a lot of people who end up walking away before it's really necessary because like you can do powerlifting and other things. Like it's really not that demanding for the vast majority of people. But I ask because like you said, there are those people who really reach that point of no return where it's like, it is all about me. And I don't, I was asking if from your perspective, there was ever anybody who was just like so lost in in a destructive way that you were just like, dude, like maybe you should reevaluate 
you know, what your priorities are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we, we've, especially with younger men, I think that's usually where it's like, bro, this is, this is not helping your life at this point. You know, yeah. it's distracting you. Like I think the way sports work is they should help you develop certain tools um, that you can pull from when it comes to other aspects of your life. You know, it's like you can reflect, reflect back on something where, Hey, you know, you, you, you played a leadership role within like your own sporting adventures and you're like, damn, I did it. You know, I do have that dog in me. Let me apply this to this, this and that. But like with bodybuilding sometimes, because it is such a 24 seven kind of sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is times where it's like, dude, just, just, let's just live casually for a few years and, and eat some protein and, and like, just, just, just forget about it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It can be such a destructive sport just because of the nature of it, that it, the training is kind of like the escape in some ways from mm-hmm. a lot of the procedures. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> it goes both ways. Like you will, you, you, you will hear of powerlifters that have made like bodybuilding, like their lifetime resort. And then the other way around where there's like some bodybuilders are like, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to worry less about the way I look and, and focus on, on, you know, performance metrics. Yeah. Yeah. No. I got you. I mean, the overlap has been, has been, you know, good to see for the powerlifting side. I mean, we've had this discussion before about, you know, powerlifting kind of becoming competition specific bodybuilding in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, I think, I think we're past this point, thankfully, but I would say most powerlifters now have, have uh, cleaned up their diets as well. And that's always a great thing to see. Um, you know, one of the big questions that people had for me was like, when it comes to management of your body weight, like for the sake of a weight class, right? Like there are people who are kind of riding at the capacity of a, of a weight class. And I know that in my experience working with you, there have been times where, you know, we've said, okay, let's like, let's lose weight, right? Like let's give ourselves buffer space to then go back Mm -hmm. up. Or there are people who you've acknowledged, you know, let's, let's use like Russ, Russ as an example, right? Where like, it probably makes sense from a netting positive example to, to spend some time way heavier and then, you know, come back down for the sake of competition. So from your, from your perspective, like what are some variables that an athlete should consider, you know, when deciding whether they, they kind of drop below their weight class and recomp or it's like, Hey dude, like you, you need to, start picking up the fork and, and make some positive body, you know, uh, you know, hypertrophy decisions. Yeah, man. Um, man, see, it's different because there was a time where a lot of the people who were coming over to powerlifting, they had their GEs and like bodybuilding, right? So they came with at least enough muscle. So I, I can't see situations where it's like, bro, you completely, like technically you're sound and obviously it shows up on your lifts, but like you're muffling like your overall potential by like, let's dedicate some time to bodybuilding. It might Mm -hmm. move you up a weight class in some cases, who knows, maybe even two. Um, So there are those situations where it's like, Hey, go pick up some skeletal muscle. It's going to, you know, bigger engine, better output. Um, and, And I do see situations now it were rare before where someone can enter like straight like into powerlifting 
and like not even realize that there's like this fitness world really going going on. Um, small minority, but it it does happen. Um, it's more likely to happen than like ten years ago. Um, just because powerlifting is like so big, it's its own thing. I mean, like dude, the section in the Arnold, like every year was like popping. There was people who would come in just to see that and never went in to you know get free samples, right? <laughs> um, so. Yeah, um, dude. I guess it just matters. We we just had a podcast on accessories, which ended up turning into a podcast on diagnosing the athlete's needs. You know, because for some athletes, like it might mean like, dude, like you just grew up in a household where there was no fruits and vegetables, like ever. You know, like, like that might be your accessories. It's like, Hey, like every week I want you to pick like a fruit and vegetable that you're including in your diet. Um, so with, with some people like, yeah, like uh, just managing that puts in, in the right weight class. Um, but let's talk like more refined folks, folks like yourself that, you know, it's like, okay, they have their stuff in order. They have enough muscle and they just want to know how to like manage weight, uh, like throughout the year. So. I think personally, the best way to go about it is like to, to your doesn't guarantee you success, but you want to put yourself in a position where outcomes are more predictable, and that's always going to be in some sort of caloric surplus. So you need to set yourself up so that like the I wouldn't say the most important weeks necessarily because there's a lot of stuff that happens like in the early developmental phases of training blocks, but you know, what happens as you get closer to a meet is reflective of what's going to take place on that platform. So you want, especially towards the end, you want good predictability. And like, unlike me, when I decided to combine bodybuilding and powerlifting, like that was an unpredictable body. Like every day did whatever it wanted to. Um, the best way to do that is to go into meets eating enough. Um, and this is where you purposely have to set this up by putting yourself in a position where you can afford to do that. Um, but usually it's kind of done backwards um, where, you know, like people have these levels of strength, this body they're very accustomed to, I guess you could say. And they're like, all right, made some gains. Let me bring it down. And it's like back of their mind, even the people who don't want to hear this message, like there's a part of them that's like fingers crossed. I, you know, I hope, I hope a lot of this sticks basically. Yeah. So, so yeah, going like well fed into a meat, I think makes all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I think that a lot of people are going to be surprised by that answer only because most people do exactly what you're saying where they do the opposite. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I, I, I bring this up and I have an, a question that extends upon this, um, which is that, you know, I think most people do it in the reverse and they do it in like the least prepared sloppy way, right? Where, and I've had this conversation with good friends of mine where like, you know, they have a bad weight cut for a meet that probably was too extreme that they left for too far mm -hmm. last minute. And then they tell themselves, oh, you know, the next meet that I do, I'm just going to be a light, whatever, whatever the weight class yeah. is. And I'm like, dude, you're opening the door for every time your friends want to go out and get food, you're going to go out and get food. Every time people want to go out and have something to drink, you're going to go out and have something to drink. So not only are you, you know, you're, you're going into a surplus, but you're going into a, a surplus that is messy. 
You're going into a surplus that's not really aiding recovery in the way that the surplus could. And then you have all this extra weight that's changing your leverages, but not even necessarily adding to strength. And then it's like, oh, here comes, you know, meat prep. And, you know, either they decide to stay that weight and they didn't really get better despite their, you know, dots or Wilkes or whatever score you want to use just plummets, or they do the the crash dieting into, into competition. So, you know, with most power lifters, not really ever dieting as like a, as a proactive strategy, but more so a reactive one. I think most of them do kind of just pray that like the avalanche doesn't come at the wrong time. Um, but from your experience, cause I, I, I know I've done this with you to a lot of success, like how, I guess if you had to put a number on it and I know it's going to vary from person to person, but like truthfully, how much do you think someone can like do a controlled diet and what percentage of their body weight you think that they can kind of lose and, and be in a good spot to then eat back up? Cause I think that's one of the things is like people won't diet unless they like absolutely have to. Yeah. Right. But I think through my, my own experience, I think I'm sure with your experience with guys like Delaney, like there probably is a bigger window of being in a deficit and dropping a few kilos that performance can still be maintained than people think. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, would you, would you tell the average lifter, like, Hey, if you, if you take this dedicated time and lost like four kilos, like you're going to be good. Like, don't, don't stress it kind of thing. Man, see, everyone's just getting so much better that you you need to do like it was a time with powerlifting, like where it's like no one was really an athlete, you know, um, just like these guys that needed a place to hang out and and you know control their rage and you know they grew beards <laughs> and gained weight and and became powerlifters, right? But like times have changed, dude, and you have to look for stones to turn. And I think that's a big one for a lot of powerlifters. And the reason they don't want to hear this is because it's going to require a lot of changing of your baseline habits. You know, like we discussed this, um, I think earlier this week, I was like, hey, you know, one thing about a deficit, because you're currently on one, is that it kind of cleans up your life in many other ways. Like you kind of reorganize things some. Um everything, even your training sometimes, like it clears up some of the noise that might be going on there since your body's a little bit more sensitive and, you know, giving you speaking louder, you could say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's one of those situations where it's like, I'll worry about it later when the time comes, you know, because when you're in a surplus, you're just so much more adaptive, so much more flexible. Um, but I think a lot of people are like, they almost abuse that effect in a way. Because like you said, it, it, it's not just like I'm in this, I grow better in a surplus. It permits all these other things that kind of take away from like the net positives at the end, like the, you know, like staying up late to sleep, the drinking, whatever it might be. Uh, and what we're talking about here where it's like, hey, you know, we trim down, I, I think a good window, because this was your original question was, how big should that window be? And I, I think somewhere around like two and a half percent above the weight class and then two and a half percent below the weight class, mm -hmm. you know, like a uh, body weight percentage. And you kind of play ping pong between both those metrics basically. Um, but, you know, again, like balancing, this is, this is something that requires not just skill because the information's out there, but like the mental rewiring uh, to really, 
like see this all the way through. Um, that's hard, man. And a lot of people like don't want to take that course just yet. But yeah, as the sport becomes more competitive, there's going to be other folks that are absolutely willing to do, you know, no half stepping two feet into the pool. It's like, yeah, sure. Like I'll do what it needs to be done to stay within um, the, those two figures more or less. Um, on that note, one of the benefits of that is that, you, again, you're just working with a very similar body the whole time. You know, like your dimensions don't change nearly yeah. as much. Um, so, yeah, I think long term, there's great advantages to like just knowing your equipment. And like, I mean, that's, that's what your body is, is your equipment. And when you operate within those parameters, keep things tighter, make your world smaller in a way. Uh, you just have a greater understanding of like all the variables of how, what impacts, how, you know, yeah, how they all come into play together to bring you the most predictable outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm like, I'm personally really looking forward to how this deficit goes and then eating into competition because, you know, my last year's nationals prep, I was very, very light. I think we had this conversation when we first, you know, started back up. And that and that window on the, especially on the low side, for me doesn't really seem to create volatility with training, which is interesting because I think, like you said, a lot of people are kind of too scared to even probe at that and 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 test the waters and see if that's actually true because you're kind of just told like, hey, you you lose weight, you're gonna get you're gonna get smoked. Um, but you know that hadn't been the case for me, and then just. I think being able to eat into comp is going to be a lot nicer because I think normally what ends up happening is like, you know, I, I I mean, you know, from our conversations, like I stay pretty weight stable year round, which is like a great thing in one way. But then, you know, during prep, especially toward the end, like I kind of find myself eating just a little bit less to maintain body weight and a little bit less to maintain body weight. And it's just, you know, any anything I think helps, especially coming off of that deficit. Um, and you know, and, and there is something to like the perception coming out of the deficit, right? It's like you get all this stuff taken away and it's like coming home from school with like that heavy ass backpack and then like you take it off and you're like, ah, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. So on the flip side of this, it's like, yeah, you're going to like get that feeling of like, dude, I feel amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, that's where it really works wonders. I, I, I feel. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. Um, one of the big, one of the big questions that that people had for you is just like, in terms of macronutrient breakdown for powerlifting. And I know that you and I have had this discussion, but I think some people still really want to know, like, what are what are some, I guess, just changes in in macronutrient, you know, prioritization that people can make, maybe on an overall scale that they don't already do, or just on a, um, you know, maybe even like carb cycling, having high and low days, um, and then like protein intake, right? Cause like a lot of people in powerlifting are like very science oriented and they're like, Oh, I only need 0.8 grams per pound yeah. of body weight to build tissue. But like, I think you and I both know just from like experience and working with people or our own diets, like sometimes pushing that, that upper end of protein really does make some differences. So I'm curious what, what you think since you put so many people through this. Well, I think, yeah, first and foremost, that, that, that protein intake because there's so many power lifters are still still dropping the ball on this. Yeah, it's like it's so obvious. Um, and 
I guess, yeah, a good place to start is like if you, if you are one of those guys that's running with the point eight. It's like I'd rather, um, I'd rather fall short like doing something moderately excessive as opposed to like the other way around where it's like there's something I could have done but I didn't do it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. I mean, when you look at the needs of 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 you guys, like there's just so many tissues that are just messed up compared to like what a bodybuilder would go through if they're doing it right right it's like time you guys go through like the valsalva maneuver and and and, you know load up these really heavy weights it's like dude all your organs are under like all this like stress you know like the connective tissue um like bodybuilding i mean powerlifting's uh, uh i think most people like should be doing a good amount of like bodybuilderish work alongside their their powerlifting so that that's going to come at a cost too so like to me to like be right on that edge when it's something so easy it's like low-hanging fruit like you know it's like hey give me three protein feedings like legit some people you have to tell them that like give me three protein feedings a day um and if that works, like I'm totally with the whole, like, hey, let's figure out what works best for you. Let's go from three to four and see if you recover better. And if, like, you know, four works well, like, I would not be opposed to, like, you having five protein feedings a day and, you know, just keeping tabs on that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the big one that's still, like, pretty surprising, I think. Obviously, I work with mostly American athletes or at least athletes that, like, live in countries where it's like they can't have these hobbies so they, there's enough protein like floating around but but still dude based on your needs like and not only that but like what is attached to that protein when you're having it from like all these weird sources essentially not l- less intentional sources yeah um so so yeah uh i think protein first and foremost that one just drives me insane because I, I don't get it man like it's just it's it's so obvious um Outside of protein, um, I guess powerlifting has gotten a little bit more glycolytic compared to like the generation of powerlifting that I was exposed to, um, where you know it was it was the conjugate system, like basically. It's like really, you know, like you're not going to need as much to burn as as um, as they assumed, I guess. Because I guess they were all massively overweight for the most part, but. Um, <laughs> So they were eaten, but, uh, but yeah, modern day powerlifters, like they understand the importance of muscle and the way I see, I can't think of another sport where muscle is such a commodity as like powerlifting, mm-hmm. at least in the prime movers, you know, and, and we talked about this in the podcast where, okay, you have like the studs, like the people who have like these, I'm kind of getting off here, but like who have these low thresholds to uh, when it comes to the amount of tension they require to have growth take place Um, or, you know, based on like how they're put together, like the, the the squat bench and deadlift, like they get a lot of growth from it. Right. Um, So these are the people that don't have to work as hard when it comes to building muscle. They're, they're just going to be jacked regardless for no reason, but that's Mm -hmm. not everyone else. You know, it's kind of like, the comparison I made is like, dude, when LeBron James was like a sophomore, junior in high school, like no one was helping him work on his vert. Like that, that part was like taken care of. It's like, you know, go play a lot of games and like this works solely on the skill side of things. 
but he had that luxury. Most of us are not LeBron James. Like we have to work on these traits that help us ex- excel at the sport. And that's where the bodybuilding work like really comes in handy. And like those adaptations are expensive and they're going to take carbs. They're going to take protein. They're going to take enough calories and the strategic placing of those calories that we, you know, we, we touched on. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, it, I hate that it's like almost like a, a point of, of controversy within the fitness space. But when it comes to like processed foods versus whole foods, like, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've, you've seen, seen some stuff recently where it's like people are making the argument that, you know, you can get similar, uh, you know, nutrients or, or bioavailability from processed foods. And, you know, obviously there are people like, you know, more on my side of things who are like, prioritizing a whole food diet from the perspective of things obviously mattering more than macros. And we've moved past like the gen one IIFYM time period, but have there been any, I mean, I I feel like the answer is yes, but you know, in your experience with having maybe an easy time in managing your body weight, even prepping for shows where you can kind of just get away with eating a lot of stuff that maybe other people don't have the caloric luxury of doing, you know, how has, cause I know you and I have spoken about having eaten just higher quality foods on average. Like how has that changed your, your training, your energy levels, your mood? Do you maybe prioritize suggesting that more to athletes than you did in the past? Like, yeah. Um, dude, it's, um, I guess the way I put it, it's like, this is Gen 1 IFYM. It's like you were eating cartoons, bro. And what I mean by that is <laughs> it gets to the point where you need such a like hedonic zing to feel anything, you know, right? And that can make – it can certainly just make life in general worse because like you're you're actively trying to – you know, like literally it's cartoons. Like it's like watching cartoons like, compared to a show with great character development where it's like, yeah. you cannot be on your phone. You have to sit there, experience it. Um, like that's what you want out of your diet, basically. You know, like I'll be having strawberries without anything on it. And I'm like, okay, this one's not as good as the other one, but that's part of the like, experience. Whereas, you know, a Gen 1, if it fits your macros, be like, you know, forget that. I'm having something that's like strawberry flavored, right? Because uh, it's, it's it's just like linear and intense, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that can get you into trouble because you're actively, again, you're, you're it's, it's cartoons, bro. It's like it needs to be so obvious. Like these characters have to be, it's like going back and watching Ace Ventura, like as an adult, I was like, dude, like this is this is so bad. You know, like the characters <laughs> have to be so slapstick and obvious. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's how a lot of people eat, man. And when it comes to eating, it's like you, you, you want it to, first of all, it needs to be like, if, if you have the luxury and if you have the luxury of like doing the powerlifting, doing the bodybuilding, it's like, there's enough food, bro. Like anytime you want, it's there. Like, so it needs to be in the proper place. Um, and you have to kind of limit like how much, of that like yeah hedonic scratch you allow yourself to itch like there should be some of that in your diet but again like it's some people just become some weird fetish eventually um 
but where you really get in trouble is like when you are trying to restrict calories, um, that can be the bottleneck for a lot of folks. It's like the, the palate that you go into your diet with is it will be your, your bottleneck. And eventually dude, like there's a lot of foods that I remember when I started bodybuilding, like I wouldn't have eaten like per my culture growing up, but like five, eight years in, I'm like, man, I like thoroughly like enjoy these foods. It was like a form of almost orthorexia that I really enjoyed in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Uh, So much in fact that after I had done my first show, you know, everyone goes to IHOP and just gets plastered. I'm like, I I just, I didn't get it. There was a big disconnect with me because I genuinely enjoyed (laughs) my life and the way it was. So, Mm -hmm. you know, aside from the obvious things, like we can get into like the nutrients, you know, per unit, like it's just going to make your life a whole lot easier. If like, you're like, you have the pleasures that you can derive from food, like here, instead of like, you know, gen one, if it fits your macros or everything has to have sprinkles and whipped cream on it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's going to make it a lot easier and it's going to release so much bandwidth for like the more appropriate places in in your life as well. Um, so Yes. Okay. There's that fact. People eat cartoons. And then the other bit is, um, I, I will tell you that like gen one, like if it fits your macros, cause I got lean that way. Mostly just to prove a point. You know, I wanted to show these boomers that like, yo, like calories do matter. Right. But I'll be the first to admit that I took it too far. And the way my body feels now compared to then, yes, there's other strategies as well. But when I get that low in body fat, it doesn't fear nowhere near as invasive as before. And again, like you have to, I guess, speak of all the limitations when I say this, it's like, you know, you, you've visited down that path enough times and like, it doesn't scare you no more. It's like, I'm good. Yeah, your body doesn't freak out. Um, there's better methods and all that, but there's still a significant point of that, a part of it that I feel comes from the fact that like, it's like, dude, like I am prioritizing like good foods in my diet. Um, even if it's just from the suffering, like that's like, I've, I've been one of those folks that like deep into a diet. It's like, dude, like my desk is just filled with like diet sodas. You know, it's like, you need that lifeline of like, you know, dopamine via food. So yeah, I think it just makes life easier, bro. It's going to be obviously good for you. And I think anyone who wants to argue that, like, you know, not having the majority of your foods come from whole foods like that that's that's just an argument you're you're not going to win like, <laughs> outside of that it's just going to help you adhere to your diet much more yeah. and whatever it is that you're trying to do within the confines of your weight class i mean it's obvious right it's like if if your idea of spurging is like whatever fruit is in season like i'm just going to have a shit ton of it compared to like i'm going out to like dairy queen or arby's like yeah, yeah, of course. Like, who's suffering more when they, it comes time to cut calories? Yeah, dude, you're you're now. Well, first of all, I think I I already know that this is the case because I've heard this feedback from other people. But I know that for everyone listening to this, is going to comment on the fact that like your analogies and your choices of words and speech sometimes are like so insightful. 
like what you, <laughs> I'm just I'm like anchoring to the strawberry comment that you made. Like you look at one, you're like, oh, this one like kind of has a different texture. This one's maybe better or worse than the other. Like it's a totally I didn't even think of this when before you had said all this. It's like it's just a totally different eating experience. Yeah. Right. Like when I like I love the food that I eat, but like when I go through the process of like you know, cooking and preparing it. It's like a very like delayed gratification kind of experience. Yes, very yes. soothing. It doesn't feel like this heightened high stimulatory situation. Whereas like with a lot of junk foods, it's like it, you're literally opening a box. It's like you're opening a present. It's like, oh, here's my prize. Here's my reward. Oh, everything has like the same concentration and same hit of this flavor that I've been been craving. And like as much as I love the food that I eat, there's no like – Oh, like there's that carnal desire of like, I want this ice cream. I want this cookie. And I feel like that's very much a tone that gets carried into eating by people who are attached to these foods. And I think oftentimes you see people who eat that way have the exact same attachment style to that kind of that level of stimulus in other areas of their life. And I feel like in many ways for people like Sure, the technological age that we're in now, it provides a lot of super high stimulatory avenues. But I feel like for a lot of people who get to that point, the first introduction of something like that is food. Yeah. When you're growing you're growing up, like you're not given an iPad at eight years old, but like you bet you're getting birthday cake and cookies and all this other stuff. And it's like, where do all of these, you know, pleasure seeking habits develop when you're in your teens, twenties, thirties? It's like it probably started from there at a really early age and people don't realize it because it's just so accepted to eat that way. And it's such a primal part of us. Like we don't need screens necessarily, but food is something different, you know, like food is something that's really wired into us. It's like a pathway that's, you know, obviously it's it's so potent because our life depends on it. Um, But that can get you, dude, it's like, yeah, that can get you in all sorts of trouble. Um, you know, the thing with the strawberries, it's like, like Gen 1, like maybe you've been here with like tracking calories. It's like you fix something up and you're like, oh, that was a waste of macros, right? Whereas someone who, like with the strawberries, it's like, well, life just kind of is that way sometimes. Yeah. You know? Right? Like, so there's a deeper meaning to all that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the mindful eating, man, like, like just – outside like people who i'm really reworking habits with sometimes they come to me and they're like all right give me those macros and i'm like regardless of uh, you know like whether we're successful with this fat loss or not it's gonna be it's gonna be a band-aid so it's like we got to start from the inside out and it's 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 things like hey let's having let's have a fruit and vegetable quota let's have lean proteins let's not do other things while we eat let's slowly focus on eating unless like you know you're eating with someone else um, let's make our own foods. Cause like, dude, it's like, like you're lifting, it's a form of self care where you have to be an active participant in it, you know? Um, so yeah, a lot of people come to me and they're like, he's going to give me the macros. And I'm like, dude, yeah, I can give you the macros, but like, this will solve the problem kind of sort of, or maybe this fat loss phase and that's it. Uh, like there's a deeper, uh, problem we have to get to the root of before we can make any sort of su- substantial long-term change. Um, yeah. and, and yeah, like a lot of our eating habits, like, like I was fortunate enough that dude, like I got them mostly from my mother where she just ate like a lot of everything. Um, and she really limited our experiences. Like I remember I only had 30 minutes of TV growing up, like little yeah. things like that, where 
I'd go to my friends' houses and they're just jumping on the couches and, and like the TV is blaring and I'm like, bro, like what is going on here? Like, this is, this is crazy <laughs> to me. Um, yeah. And that's, that's literally how people act with the food that's in, in, in front of them. So yeah, being a mindful eater, dude. And like seeing, looking at it, not just from like, Hey, this is going to help me get to my goals, but an act of self care, dude. Like, like we as humans, we collect our receipts all day. You know, it's like everyone can kind of name all the things they dislike about like their behaviors and they carry those around with them, those things with them, like around everywhere, but it works the other way around too, bro. It's like, you do little things for yourself. It's like, okay, like it will change. And that's the thing with nutrition is like, you get to do it many times over the course of the day. Like you can set yourself up to have all these like little victories I'm sure that's what it feels like to you when you decide to like, all right, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to take care of myself with like these foods. Like it, there's a part of that that reminds you that like, dude, you're fucking worth it. And that's something that, yeah, just most people don't do nearly enough. Yeah. You know, that's a good point because like, you know, I've always been, and you and I have had this discussion before, like I'm a very... Well, one, I, I'd been a night owl. You'll be proud of me that for the past well, three weeks, three weeks. You, you haven't been on the group chat late at night. And that's, that's the only reason I stay up a little late. I'm going to see, see if this dude's responding now. No, he's so, not there. Yeah. So for, for people listening, when I started back up with Birdo, he told me that I had to promise him that the lowest hanging fruit of being able to you know get things in order training-wise and body weight-wise was to flip my sleep schedule. So since we've started, mm-hmm. it's been, been about three weeks since that conversation, been going to bed like no later than 11 waking up at at 6:30 or 7am actually seeing the sunrise for once rather than seeing it rise while I'm going to bed um it's been a it's been a good change but um yeah dude like when it comes to you know I cook all the food that I eat now and I and I kind of always did to a degree but prior to like the past year and a half two years there were still you know some foods that I could just rip open throw in a microwave and I'm and I'm good to go right but now it's like if I'm taking the time to be deliberate and I know like, hey, in order for me to eat, like I have to get on this. I got to start chopping shit up. I got to make sure I have the meat out of the the fridge for several hours before I want to make it. I have to, you know, do all of this procedural stuff to make sure that I have the food in front of me that I know is going to be nourishing. That's bled into my other habits, right? And just being proactive about them. Because I'm a very like... I'm not a super organized person. Like I don't usually, well now more recently I have, but in the past, like I never was like super regimented with like scheduling and planning out my days and all that stuff. And it's like, you get the habitual practice several times a day being meticulous about cooking. It's like when the thought in your head comes, Hey, I have to do this, this, and this, or I have to clean the apartment or I have to whatever. It's like the thought comes in your head and you immediately think I need to do this, 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 and this rather than the thought coming in your head and saying, yeah, like, That'll get taken care of eventually. And dude, that's um, like I know for for me, sports is that's exactly what it did for me. Like it helped me like grow up, and like I I can't go to like when I go to the gym now, I'm like, dude, how are you guys like disrespecting like this place like so bad at times? <laughs> it's like it's like if I see weights that are off, it's like I need to go like put them in their place. Yeah, you know, um. So anyhow, yeah, like nutrition, uh, I think for especially powerlifters, it's like it's it's a great way to like leverage other behaviors out of yourself. 
Um, because I mean, dude, it's like, I don't know, I guess go back to mama. That's probably what she's worrying about. It's like, is she, is, 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 are they feeding themselves? Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And like, you know, they saw how you were cooking and well, I'm sure they, they know now like they're yeah. like, okay, like he's, he's good hands. Right. And that just bleeds into other things, dude. Uh, yeah. But, but actually, you know, going back to the whole sleeping thing, cause I know this was a big sacrifice for you. And this is what most people are predisposed to doing is like, whatever the, the thing is that they're very good at, they'll do. Right. So if they're like, uh, they're a really hard worker, it's like, I'll be a really hard worker. Uh, okay. But it's like, you can only cap, you, you, we've kind of maximized that. It's like, we have to look for these things that don't come as naturally to you. Uh, you know, the bars that still have, yeah, we can still move up the most in regards to like attributes. Right. And for you, I was like, Okay, it's like nutrition, dude. That's really high. Training, yeah, he knows how to train hard. And I'm like, all right, what's the one thing we haven't really like fully tried? So it goes back to like, I guess when people think of accessories, they think of like, what am I going to do after my session that I really hate? And it's like, no, no, there's other things like accessories. It's they're supplemental. They're 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 looking. You're looking for things as a coach that this athlete needs. Uh, and sometimes there are things that are not very typical. Like in your case was like, bro, let's try to, you know, go to sleep early, get some good sleep. You know, like, let's see if we can try to work within, I guess, these operating hours that, uh, you know, supposedly most humans work best under. Let's give this a fair shot. Because, yeah. you know, if there is something there, it's like, I think – there's much more benefits there in the long term than like us doing something crazy with like your nutrition or like on the programming side. Like, like that's, that's the one bar we could move up the most basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I will admit, I definitely feel more it's been hard. Huh? I, I mean, it was or initially it actually reversed way quicker yeah. than I thought, but I really set the environment to be able to do so, which I think, you know, a lot of people, I mean, this extends everything, right? If we want to just bring in like more, I guess, kind of cliche things to, to, to add to this, right? But it's like most people will, you know, know that something is difficult to do and they'll try to, to force it through just sheer will rather than like actually like crossing the T's and dotting the I's so that the environment can lend itself well to it. So like, you know, waking up early in the beginning and going to bed early was, was a trial, but like if I'm spending the morning doing all of my programming and saying to myself, like, Hey, you got to get all of this done and then you can train. Right. It's like most of the productivity is, is uninterrupted. We get to unilaterally focus on that. Cause we have to, then we go to the gym. That's what we want to focus on, you know, for, for pleasure, for, for pursuit of whatever gain it is. And then it's like, I'll come home and I'll just clean. I'll clean until I'm like starting to get tired, lights off, make tea, all the sleep hygiene BS that people, you know, push. I think it, it definitely has helped me. And like, you know, I'm in a stage of my life right now, like professionally, where a lot of the work that eats up my my late hours of the night is very procedural, right? Like it's writing mm -hmm. programs. And yeah. if it were more creative work, more synthesis of things, then maybe I'd be more inclined to lead into my lean into my bias of like, Hey, I need to be up late. Cause this is when I think best, but like, there's no reason I need to be programming at 2am when I could be programming at 10am. You know, it's like, it's been such a more productive experience now where there are no nights that I have to like force myself to stay up till five, six in the morning to get stuff done. Like it's just getting done throughout the day. And you know, 
I'm glad that you you pushed for me to make that change because I, I think that if you were not explicit enough to say cool. I need you to do this, I probably yeah. would not have done it. Yeah, um, man, and there's a lot of empathy with that message because again, it's like you only know what you know, right? Um, you know, like if you survived cancer, like as a child, and you know you have a very different outlook in life, and you could totally run around being like, "Why are y'all so weak?" You know, <laughs> right? But but you know, like again, it's like you know what you know. Right. And, and like in your case, like in some ways, maybe not all the way, but this, this, this is probably comparable to, I don't know, man, like a power if you're trying to have like someone, one of your power is trying to make those four protein feedings work, trying to like have the fruits and vegetables, trying not to like blow their weekends. Like it's the equivalent of that for yeah. you in a way. Um, so in a way it's like, uh, yeah, I guess it's, you have to look for those soft spots, like when it comes to whatever, you know, you're trying to manage within yourself. And mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's, so yeah, like I get a lot of motivation from people who might seem like beginners, but I'm like, dude, I know this is a freaking massive life change because I can look at the way you're eating and it's like, you know, these dudes been eating like garbage for 35 years, you know, but that's what's going to make it. It's like 35 years of freaking clutter that he has to move like that, that, oh, the resistance that comes with that job is going to be immense. So yeah. sometimes working with those sort of people, because we do get a lot of those, like still, um, that, like that motivates me to do the little things that I'm like, okay, bro. It's like, like in a way that, that can motivate me to like, let's get that last percentage of body fat off of us. Like next time we prep. Cause like, yeah. it's like, in a way it's like the equivalent, like just how that man lived this way for 35 years. Like from me, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, I'm looking at that one percentage bit I can take off and I'm like, fuck, it's scary, bro. So much untangling, you know? So yeah. no, I commend you on that because for as long, as long as I've known you, like you've always been like a night owl. And that's, that's basically how I tend to roll as well. Like there was a time where I even shifted all my work to like that way because it just let me work in peace. Like no one was calling me. No one was texting me. Just let yep. me. Um, so yeah, that's a big move, dude. And I'm, I'm, I mean, so far so good. Yeah. Proud of you. You know what they say about enlightenment? I love this saying. It's, it's a uh, enlightenment best not start. Should you start best finish? That's kind of like a play at your own conscious. Like when you know better, even if you fell off the wagon, it's like, fuck, I know there's a better way of like living and going about it. Like that's yeah. always going to be there. Yeah. So, so whatever comes from this, it's like, it's hopefully it's always going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate you, man. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's a good spot to, to end this. We've been on here for a little bit over an hour now, but I, man, I think, I think there's a lot of really good takeaways for people listening to this. Like, I think a lot of, and this is why I love speaking to you about this, because it's like, it's almost like a, um, what's the word I'm looking to, like peaks and valleys where it's like in the beginning of, of someone exploring some sort of discipline, right? Like you don't really know, have the, the wherewithal, the breadth of knowledge, the depth of knowledge, and you rely on like, okay, how can my, my outlook be unique to the people that I'm serving here, right? And then you get to a point of having like just this absolute library of understanding, right? Which you have undoubtedly been at probably for, for years now. Right. But like so much of what you've 
taken the time to talk about. And I could have had maybe one of, you know, someone else I know, right. Who's a, you know, does diet stuff for powerlifting and they could hop on here and say like, Oh, this is the macro breakdown you want to do. This is how you implement refeeds, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, how useful is that to the majority of people listening? Like it, like you said, in, in cases where you've prepped people, it's like, it's the band aid for not having the food literacy. It's the band aid for having an issue with dopamine. It's an issue, you know, how you, how you navigate relationships with food, um, or with yourself. Right. And like, I think that you've like just imparted a lot of wisdom in a more macro sense that if you understand the message of what you've said, it's very easy to then zoom in and, and make the right quantitative decisions, but it's a matter of making the ones that actually make sense for you. Right. Like you mentioned with me finding the soft spot, right. And understanding where it is that you need to, to bring up and understand that like what you think is a strong suit in some cases can be you taking the path of least resistance, right? It's like, sure. Like you're willing to really bury yourself with this thing, but like, how easy is that for you to do? It's you've you've been doing this all your life, right? But the other thing that you're, you're kind of leaving behind closed doors, you know, in, in pursuit of being this, this workhorse in these areas where it's easy to be a workhorse. It's like, you know, you're, you're not really, you know, tackling the, the, the elephant in the room, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the self-reflection that it requires to get the most out of yourself when it comes to anything. Um, you know, it's deep, it's ugly. Like no one wants to do that. Um, but I think that's, again, that's the Marvel. Like, if you're an adult and you get to play sports, you know, like, even if you like, it's like, bro, like you'll never go viral with a lift. It's like, who cares, bro? Like this is, this is a great tool that usually ends somewhere, you know, like once we're done with high school that you get to, keep running the rest of your life where it's, it's a safe playground to like, this is how you coexist with the rest of your world. Basically like this, who you are in powerlifting is who you are when it comes to everything else. And it's worth learning from. Yep. No, absolutely, man. Berto. I love you, dude. I appreciate you taking the time to get on. This was awesome. I love you too, Ron. And I love what you're doing. And, and, you know, again, you, you lead from the front and I think that's, that's really, really, really important because it's it's one thing when you've been there, uh, and and then, you know like your evolution, like you changing as a person, as an athlete, like it's been taking place in front of like all these folks, and that's that's important, man. That's yeah. So we appreciate you, man. You always put it out there, dude, and and that's that's the one thing about you that I'm like, bro, like. When I was your age, I wish I wish I, I was as brave as you in some ways. I appreciate that, man. It means a lot, dude. All right. Thank you, brother. Right get, get the little outro going here. All right, guys. This is uh, episode 20 of the High Bar Podcast with Alberto Nunez. Appreciate all of you guys listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Take care.